Thank you, Kyle. Good morning to each and every one of you. So grateful to see you today, especially grateful for the invitation, grateful for your hospitality, and so grateful for your presence uh, this morning, thankful for this focus that we can have that starts in the Word of God and moves toward a technology to help us to be the best stewards of that in all of our lives. We're going to camp out in this session this morning here at 9 o'clock and then again in worship at 10 o'clock in Matthew chapter 13. So if you want to turn in your New Testaments to that chapter, that's where we'll be in both sessions. Main text, Matthew chapter 13. Werner von Braun is the German, then American scientist, engineer, led a team who is in terms of American history, most credited with getting us, helping to get us into space in terms of building those rockets. But you may remember that before he made his way to the United States, he was living in Germany during the time of World War II, and he surrendered just a few days after Hitler committed suicide, surrendered to the United States, he and his team and their families. And prior to that surrender, and them welcoming him with open arms, his rockets that he and his team were building were actually used for war. V-2 rockets were used by the Germans, sometimes not all that effectively, but they were used for the purposes of attacking and, and trying to kill people in other countries. And so von Braun had this conscience issue the whole time. And it was a part of the tension that he had with Hitler and others from the Nazi party. They were afraid he would defect because he didn't always agree with how his technology was being used. And so remember, as we move on with this, this quote from him, he literally had his hands in both ends of the spectrum. He is a part of using technology, or his technology at least being used to do harm, but he was also a part of it being used for good and expansion and research. So he would say this, Our knowledge and use of the laws of nature that enable us to fly to the moon also enable us to destroy our home planet with the atom bomb. And I love just what's implied there. He says there are laws that pre-exist us, right? We know that to be true because those laws come from God. He says when we act within those laws, we still get to choose what we do within them. And he would go on to say this, science itself does not address the question whether we should use the power at our disposal for good or for evil. Guidelines of what we ought to do are furnished in the moral law of God. That last quote, last part of the quote we'll preach too. It's no longer enough that we pray that God may be with us. On our side, we must learn again to pray that we may be on God's side. See what he's saying? He's saying that he has seen firsthand technology of its day used for harm, but also used for good. But those same laws of science, the engineering principles can never tell can never direct how they are to be used. How we use any technology must come from something greater, from God himself, not from the technology itself. So we think about that principle now to personal technology. We have seen personal technology advance so rapidly over the years. Who is qualified among those who are developing the technologies and making them available? Who's qualified to tell us how to use those devices? Apple can put a phone in your hand, but can it tell you how to use that phone? Google and Amazon host almost the entire internet, it seems. Can they tell you how to use their technology? 
Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, all these visual mediums, can they tell you how to use them? Already had a couple of questions on the way in this morning about the advancing AI kind of conundrum we're facing, artificial intelligence. Are we really prepared and equipped to let technology tell us how to live? That's where we must get back to the same spirit that, that Von Braun models for us, but that we should find ourselves first because we're Christians, because we know God himself through Christ, that we let God determine how we're going to use anything that he puts into our hands. So no matter what a technology's capabilities, it'll never be able to determine how we use it. So let's just thought, take a couple of minutes to think through this. What big decisions, you don't have to speak out loud necessarily, but just think of one or two big decisions you might have made recently or might need to make in your life as it relates to technology. Big purchases, big decisions about your children perhaps. What big decisions do we have to make when it comes to technology? Think of one or two in your own mind. But then go to the other level. Go to daily decisions. What daily decisions do we make as it relates to technology? How many decisions have we already made as it relates to technology this morning already? Now let's connect some dots and see why it's so important and urgent that we let God make our decisions. Because if we mess up, we miss some daily decisions, if we do those wrong, how quickly do those then become major big decisions? If we miss the, the daily decisions and don't allow the Lord to guide those, do we see quickly that we now have to face some messes, some heartaches, have to do a lot of cleanup, when we instead would be better to let the Lord make all of our decisions daily and then our big decisions as well. If we do not have a means by which the Lord determines our technology decisions, then someone else will make those decisions for us. It might be the other people online through social networking. It may be the people behind the technology itself, the developers, the programmers. It may be the algorithms. Somebody will make those decisions for us. I was talking with a friend just last week about some of this stuff, and he said, it is true that technology is neutral, but algorithms are not. Somebody is ultimately behind an algorithm. And if we make ourselves available to be controlled by those algorithms, then now we're giving over control to someone else instead of allowing the Lord to control us. The reason we turn to the Lord is because he has already spoken. And while technology changes faster and faster, culture is changing more quickly because of how rapidly technology advances. The word of God has never changed and will never change. So Psalm 119, verse 89, for instance, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. It's established, and it's established in a realm greater than this one. But then continue. He says, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth. It stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. When we talk especially about technology, and we think about our own children, we think about upcoming generations, go back to that phrase, your faithfulness endures to all generations. How strongly do we truly trust and believe that? Are we ever tempted to believe that somehow the Lord has given up on us now? That things are too difficult? That there's just no hope for advancing generations because of, 
of how evil technology can be used? The words of the psalmist here remind us, the word of God will never change. It has never changed, it will never change. And so even though, quote, culture changes, even though technology changes at a, a pace faster than we're prepared to deal with, God's faithfulness endures to all generations. Thus, we keep turning to him for answers to how we use the things he gives us. All right, Matthew 13. Let's turn our attention to that text now. You may remember it's a chapter that is filled with eight different parables. And the first parable is the one that sets the stage for the rest of the parables and arguably all parables. If we miss the parable of the sower, we miss all parables. Because that parable is all about hearing and how we hear and whether or not we will hear in such a way that produces fruit for the Lord. It's worth noting that chapter 12 ends with that passage where Jesus is teaching and the townspeople want to let Jesus' family in because, hey, it's natural. If you're starting a kingdom, you, you want your family to be there. They're the first people to start with, right? But Jesus actually says something different. He says, no, no, here are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. Because it's those who do the will of the Father who are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. So he doesn't start his kingdom with the most natural choice his own physical family he starts it with those who are willing to hear and thus willing to obey and so that's what this first parable addresses is the necessity of hearing hearing with a willing heart such that we will then obey him so let's read verse number three beginning of matthew 13 and he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. You may remember that later when he explains the parable, he says these are those who have a hardened heart. Their hearts were so hard from the beginning, they never accepted, they never heard, they never were willing to hear and obey. Verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Those are the hearts who hear, who are excited, who obey, but yet they are discouraged. And in their discouragement, they fall away. Verse number seven. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. There you have distracted hearts. Again, there's this initial reception. There's an excitement. And yet because their environment is full of distractions, they are choked. The life is choked out of them. Verse eight, though. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And of course, that's the summary, he who has ears. If you can physically hear, then you be sure that hearing connects to your heart. You be sure that you spiritually hear what I've been teaching. And so you've got these four soils. Three of them accept the word. One never hears the word to begin with. But total, three of the four don't end up producing fruit for the Lord and his kingdom. And so as we connect this principle about the kingdom of God being made up of hearers, as we connect that to technology, we must forever be grateful that this online world, this online access, increases our connections and opportunities to hear. That's true. We must always be grateful for that. But it also creates more opportunities for our hearts to be hardened, for them to be discouraged. 
for us to be distracted. And so as we start out, we need to see just the importance of this, that as much good as we might be capable of, we can never do that good if the devil is having his way with us and impacting our hearing for his purposes. A few weeks ago, we were letting the girls play outside. We were in and out. We had a back door open to our patio. We had the side door, which goes out to our garage. It was open, and the garage doors were open, and we were letting them play. We were keeping an eye and ear on them through those open doors. And we got our food, our supper ready. We carried it out to our patio table, and we closed the door that goes to our patio, the rear door that had been open. We closed it. And we're eating. We, We pretty much get finished eating, and we're sitting there, and we notice something kind of move through the window in our dining room. And then we noticed it was the shape of a cat and its tail was sticking up. There was a cat inside our house. And we don't own a cat. We don't own any kind of animals at all. And we had a cat who had made its way through the garage, through the kitchen, then into our dining room. So we ran in, we, run, we you know, pushed it out, we ran it out. It was quite scary. But the point is that open doors work both ways, don't they? Our doors had been open for a good reason. Our doors have been open for the sake of our children. We were using them to to have a great atmosphere that evening. And yet, because we didn't tend to that one open door, something less than desirable got in instead. And so likewise, we live in this world that's full of incredible opportunities through the online world. Those open doors work both ways. So we must always be prepared to protect our hearing. Know that we're advancing into a world that can be dangerous when we are not prepared. When Jesus would tell the parable, this same parable in Luke's account, Luke records this in the paragraph that follows. Take care then how you hear. How we hear makes all the difference. I also find it interesting he follows this up with a stewardship principle, right? For to the one who has, more will be given. For the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So what are we doing with the blessings we're given in terms of technology? If we're using it for his glory... He'll keep blessing us. But if we do not take care how we hear, then we're at risk, not only of, of damage just happening in our lives, but especially our souls being at risk away from the Lord. The enemy would love to use technology. Our spiritual enemy would love to use technology to harden us, to distract us, to discourage us. We're vulnerable when we go to that online world. And as we move forward with this, we need to to draw a clear line, just as Jesus would do about the eye and the hand when they offend us. It would be better to not have any technology at all than to lose my own soul. It'd be better to enter heaven without an iPhone, without the internet, without an Apple Watch, without a TikTok account, than it would be to have those and spend eternity in hell. It's that, it's that significant. It's that dangerous. We don't have to live in constant suspicion. We don't have to be driven by fear, but we must also be realistic to see just how dangerous it can be. As we think about it being a source of hardening our hearts or distracting us or discouraging us, let's look at three areas that we need to be especially aware of. And the first is time. The easy wasting of time. We were talking through some of these principles several years ago in our young adult class. And, and somebody just was talking about how much time we log and spend online. And he said he felt like when he would pause and, and kind of look back on it, when he would get those screen time notifications on his phone, he said he felt like 
being in the, the area of Chuck E. Cheese or some other kind of arcade where you get all those tickets. You spent who knows how many dollars in quarters, how much time getting this big stack of hundreds and hundreds of tickets. And you go and you turn them in and they say, well, you can get a, a Chinese finger trap. Or you can get some rubber thing that kind of bounces and it's this small. It would have cost less money and less time to have, to have bought the small item, right? Well, we're taking all of this time that we're spending online and we're we are redeeming it for something. What are we redeeming it for? Paul would make this point clear about wisdom and time in Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Pay attention to how you walk. Not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time or redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The longer you go without tending to your time, the harder it gets to then tend to your time. That's the general principle behind that phrase, because the days are evil. We can keep putting it off, we can keep putting it off, but we'll find it's more difficult to get a hold of our time. We need to be clear that when we enter the online world, especially these newer advancements, these connecting apps and connecting services, gaming, social media, all those they're intended, they're designed to keep us in the loop for as long as possible. It's not a part of Facebook's business model or anybody else's business model for us to get in, check it for 30 seconds or, or one minute or 10 minutes and then get out and, and wait till the next day to check it. That's not in their business model. It's not in their best interest. They're designed to keep us in a loop. And that loop costs us time. This is a phrase that's been popularized by uh, Tristan Harris, who is a, an ethic, former ethicist for Google, it's been around since before he kind of made it popular in that documentary uh, for Netflix. But the, the idea is, is that if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. Does that scare us? See, it's not just that it's traditional advertising that passes in front of our eyes now. We are valuable in terms of the data we're constantly giving these services. So if you're not the product, or if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. And that's designed to keep us in this loop constantly, and thus the result is that our time is wasted. What would it feel like if you had an entire extra day per week? Eight day a week, eight days. You could use your eighth day to catch up on housework. You could use your eighth day to, to catch up on work if you're behind. You could use it to, to spend time with family. You could use it to work outside, to, to spend time outside. Your choice, eight days, an extra day per week. What would that feel like? you check your screen time settings, if you use a, an iPhone or if you have an Android and you can check those settings about how much time you're on your phone, if you average three hours and 25 minutes per day, that's 24 hours in a week. That's kind of the cringe point for me. When I get those notifications on a Sunday, the more it is above three hours and 25 minutes, the more I cringe. Ooh, that's a whole day. What would I do with an entire day per week? Well, three hours, 25 minutes is that breaking point. Will we take the time God gives us and use it for his glory? We must understand that technology itself is at odds with that command from God to make the most of our time. Moses would say, Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We're not wiser the more we waste time 
online. When we find ourselves saying, I just don't have the time for fill in the blank. Anything that the Lord has expected us to, to do, and then we follow it up with, but I just don't have the time, our phones are telling on us. They're tattling. You do have the time, but you've exchanged it for something else. Second thing is obvious, but we must be real about how technology can harden us, can distract us, can discourage us through sin. It's an open door not only to suck our time out of our lives, but also to lead our souls away from God. There is a lagoon in England. The years ago, they had trouble with people visiting it so much and swimming in it. It's this beautiful blue color because it's a, a former rock quarry. And so all the elements that they mined out of that, that mine have turned the, the lake or that lagoon that beautiful shade of blue. But its pH level is something like 11.8, 11.3. That's closer to bleach or ammonia than it is to water. It's very shallow. When they got through with mining this quarry, they just dumped all of the equipment in the lake and let it fill up with water. So what happens was people were showing up, and for their Instagram photos and all of that, they were taking their photos in front of this beautiful blue lagoon in the middle of nowhere in England. And while they were there, they thought, if it's so beautiful, if it's so pretty, let's go swimming in it. Officials posted plenty of signs that said, warning, this is dangerous, this is toxic, it's too shallow. A lot of visits to the ER from people who would swim in this, eye problems and, and respiratory problems, and one confirmed drowning from a young man who got caught up in the debris in the bottom. So after years of trying to run people off with signs that didn't work, they had an idea they needed to try something different, so they dyed the lagoon black. And it kind of fixed itself. See, it's not near as attractive, therefore people don't come to the lagoon anymore. They needed its appearance to match the reality of just how dangerous it is. All right, let's flip our thinking back to sin in the online world. Any sin that has ever existed is now more accessible online than it was before. And it's portrayed in a harmless way. It's portrayed in a way that does not depict reality. And so we have to keep standing back and not allowing that online world to portray any sin in a way that's deceptive. Take a passage like Galatians 5, the works of the flesh. Paul says they're evident, they're clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, those are kind of the same category of sins of the, the physical flesh. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. You get some idolatry and sorcery there about priorities, about who we're going to turn to for the source of life. Then you get into enmity through divisions and envy. Those are your relational sins. Then you close out with substances, drunkenness and orgies. Orgies is not the best word to use because it's, it's really more of a, a partying kind of concept that's there. But just think about how the internet has made it so much more accessible for any of those. Right? If we just kind of start and work through the order of that list, as long as the internet has been around, internet pornography has been around, and now what's so troubling about the statistics for internet pornography is not usage statistics because those are pretty much saturated. It's not like we're just going to add a lot of people around the world who are just going to all of a sudden decide to start looking at and watching pornography. 
What's troubling now is how the values have changed about it. It used to be that there was some saturation, but they were still looked down upon. But now, those values have changed with increased usage over time. There was a study that suggests that there were 90% of teenagers and 96% of young adults who, when they're with their friends, their peer groups, they just all agreed that pornography was either like a good thing or it was acceptable or it was neutral. But almost everyone in this study, at worst, it's okay, it's just neutral. Doesn't harm anybody. Or some would go even farther and say, oh, it's a, it's a good thing. 13 to 24 year olds, there was a study where the majority of them said that it's actually worse, it's more harmful to not recycle than to view pornography. Changing values is what should scare us to death about these things. Obviously, it has any number of other consequences as it relates to divorces, as it relates to making physical sexual contact and sexual sin even more available. We continue on down the list. Every sin that we've ever struggled with as humankind is now more accessible, more celebrated, more deceptive through the internet. Idolatry, this whole celebrity culture, influence, influencer culture, it's evidence of that idolatry. Just how little you have to actually do to, quote, become an online celebrity. You just have to sound good and look good and, and figure out the algorithms, if you will. What about these inter, interrelational, these relational sins? You know, I don't know if you noticed the calendar, but next year, 2024, is a, an election year. What's that going to look like online? It's kind of bad enough day by day by day, right? But then every four years, kind of like we light a fire and throw some gasoline on it online, the division gets even worse. But then notice the last thing he says. Things like these. That also should be a reminder to us, a warning. Not only do you have these specific things, but then there are other things that are right alongside them that I may not have named, but they are still evident and obvious. The internet can be a portal for us to access sin faster than ever before, but it also can be a means by which we enable and celebrate sin even when we do not participate in it directly. Remember, that was part of Paul's warning in Romans 1. He talks about this process of how we fall away from God and God gives us over to the consequences of our sin. And he closes that whole list out by saying that though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, that they know that's the process, they still not only do them, but they also give approval to those who practice them. It means that everything we consume online should be to the glory of God. But also everything that we like, that we share, that we comment on, that we talk about, must be to the glory of God and cannot be for the purposes of enabling sin. But a third category is what I've just called shaped by the screen. It's kind of the more frightening, kind of newest area of study that we've unearthed because it's looking at data from the past 20 or 30 years. We've had the internet roughly at homes for about 30 years. So what has it been like to see our culture evolve and change over time through the influence of the screen? And our values are changing as quickly as technology advances. 
content of the online world is scary enough. But seeing how this constant access to a screen is changing us in ways that we could not imagine. There's an author, Jay Kim, that talks about how there are some great promises that the online world has given us, and yet they've all come with negative, unintended consequences. So the first, maybe the most obvious, is this promise of speed or efficiency. We can do things faster than ever before. And yet there's this consequence that's come along with it of us growing more and more impatient. Well, I can get my phone or my computer to do this immediately, so why can't people respond as immediately as my device? So are we aware of how this is changing us? Could we say that we are more patient now than before we had a smartphone or before we had the internet access that we have? The second promise that has an unintended, unintended consequence is that of choice. You have unlimited choices online. Any options. The downside to this is that we've become shallow because we don't like resistance. We, we choose something that we think is the best. Maybe we're just convinced it's the best, and then when it doesn't deliver, we immediately move on to something else that keeps us shallow. I'm afraid one of the worst kind of aspects of this this process is what's become called this online therapeutic culture. It's just shallow. A lot of people who are not qualified as psychologists or as counselors or therapists are just giving advice, and it makes people feel good for the moment. And then when they go to bed and they wake up and, and they go back to real life, they feel just as bad or worse than they did before, so they keep going back to this shallow online therapy instead of finding truth, instead of working through it with someone else. Shallowness is a real temptation because we have unlimited choices at our fingertips. But third, the idea of individualism. This is dangerous to the church, too. Because I can get whatever I want, I might not always do what's best for more than me. Because I can get everything customized, that leads me to begin thinking that, that maybe I'm the one who's most important. Selfishness becomes the root of it all. And the sad part of this is that the unintended consequence is isolation. We keep choosing what we want. We keep choosing what our selfish desires want, and that ultimately ends up pushing people away. So while we go to the Internet for something that's going to appeal to us, we end up running people off, and we end up isolated and worse off and discouraged than we were before. So are we more patient or less patient? Are we more shallow or more deep? Are we involved in closer and deeper relationships? The internet itself, just the screen, the hours and hours that we spend on that screen are undermining these very important principles that God intended us to use for community and for each other. Think about Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. Remember chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Romans are all about this life living in God's grace, God's salvation. And so he says in 5, Romans 8 and verse 5, Halfway through, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. But to set the mind on the flesh is death, that's where it leads. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The more we set our minds on the things of the online world, the more it will cost us our souls, the more it will lead to death. But the more we set our minds and our hearts on the things that come from God, the more then we're prepared to have this beautiful life and peace that he gives. But let's shift in a positive direction as we go back to Matthew chapter 13. We must protect our hearing. 
so that we can then allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to be heard through our lives. We need to notice this, that the kingdom is made up of hearers, people who hear the word of God and then receive it and obey it. But look at a few parables here. Look at, at first, just notice what we read in verse number 8. The good soil not only receives the seed, but it bears fruit, 160, 30-fold. A good life in Jesus Christ is always bearing fruit. That's making a difference. But then look at verse number, is it, is that 23? I don't think that's right. The mustard seed is not 23. 23 is about the good soil. The mustard seed is 31. So I had that wrong on the screen. But look at 13 verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The very next parable makes generally the same point, verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. The common link between those two parables is that there are small things that go on to have exponentially large impacts. They make a difference. We, as those who are a part of God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, are difference makers. The good soil bears fruit, bears wheat. The mustard seed provides a place for birds to nest. The leaven spreads throughout the flower to then rise and make a difference in the flower. So what an opportunity we have to not just make points. The whole world is going about making a point. But we get to use the online world and our connection to it to make a difference, to not settle for just making a point. The world, especially the online world, loves attention. That's the currency. But Jesus is telling us the currency for his people, his kingdom, is always influence. What are we doing to grow his influence in that online world? Cal Newport is one of my favorite kind of tech guys. He's almost an anti-tech technology guy. He's a computer programmer, teaches at Georgetown, I believe. And yet he's often warning about how we misuse technology. And so he says this, that do not use tech as an end. It's only useful when it comes to human flourishing, when you're deploying technology for very specific intentional purposes that you care about. As soon as the tech becomes an end to itself, that's when we start to see problems. That's when it becomes addictive. That's when it becomes divisive. When we're using it not as a means to accomplish something greater, but when we use it as the end unto itself. So technology must always be a tool, not merely a toy. You ever think about it being a tool, something we use for something great? Went and bought the biggest funnel I could find where I live. It's kind of fun to have a big funnel, I guess. But it's really nothing to brag about, right? A funnel's a funnel. You wouldn't be impressed if you, you walked into my garage and I had all three of my walls just filled with funnels, right? But how useful is a funnel when you need a funnel? It's incredibly useful. But the most important thing about a funnel is what you're putting in the funnel. You could take this and put it in your tractor or put it in your car, and you could pour some things in this that would ruin that vehicle. So we must keep reframing how we view technology, that it's a funnel for the things of God to flow through instead of the world 
flow through into our lives? Are we constantly drinking from the funnel of the world? Or are we giving through the funnel the things that come from God? Technology must always be a tool, not a toy. All right, next parable. We're actually going to go back up in the text. Look at verse 30. This is the close of the wheat and the weeds, okay? So we read the other parables, especially the, the one about the flower, because it's an explanation for how this one closes. You remember there's wheat that's sown in the field, and the enemy comes through and sows the, the tares. And the servants are caught off guard because they say to the master, hey, should we go through and pull up all the bad tares, the weeds, and just leave the good? That's how we think about kingdoms. Let's just separate everybody from the people we don't want in the kingdom. But that's not Christ's thinking when it comes to the kingdom. The wheat and the weeds live together in the field. Why? Because of the parable of the leaven. We are mixed throughout the world in order to make a difference within the world. So verse 30 closes that parable. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. There is coming a time for separation, but now is not that time. We live different lives from the world, but we don't live cut off from the world. Because it's through those connections, living mixed in lives, that we can make a difference in the world that the world so desperately needs from, from God and from Christ. As we close, kind of going back to the shape by the screen idea, but also relates to how we are equipped or ill-equipped to reach the world with the gospel. Think about the process of, of what we might call pixelization. That means as many times as we keep sending, say, an image between different devices and it passes through different screens and it's compressed, it loses its quality. So when you keep measuring the number of times that it's sent, it keeps getting fuzzier and fuzzier and fuzzier. So what has that process now done? The more we live on our lives on the screen, what has that done to impact negatively how we view one another? How we view lost souls. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, remember he says verse 17, everyone in Christ is a new creation. Well, how did he get there? He says, verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's the flesh only. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He's saying we missed Christ because we only saw him as a flesh and blood person. We didn't listen to him spiritually, we didn't see him spiritually, and thus we missed him. So now what's happened with this online world is we're going farther beyond the flesh. We don't even view people as flesh and blood, as made in the image of God, their creator. We're so tempted to view one another as avatars, as profile pictures, as a digital account, instead of remembering that every person is a soul and thus needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. That's a way for him to say your whole selves. But I find it interesting in this ever-advancing digital era that he uses the word bodies. Take your entire life, which is lived in flesh and blood on the earth, and you offer that to God as your service to him. So while we have great possibilities with this online world, it can never influence us to begin viewing one another, to begin viewing our own lives as just some digital representation of life. 
but we will please God and then serve others and save others. Let's give ourselves a few suggestions as we close just to kind of help some of these things. Um, if you've not done this, if you kind of find yourself struggling with some of these problems, maybe you're discouraged or depressed or, or have some anxieties that seem to be connected to this online world, if you've not taken a break, just cut it off, especially social media for a, a, a specified season. Just decide for yourself, maybe three weeks, maybe 30 days, maybe six weeks. And while you do that, reflect. A way to do that is just to delete the app. That way you're not compulsory just going to it, compulsively just going to it. Maybe you could have your spouse or a friend to change the password for you. That way you can't just log in. There are apps. Um, I, I, I use Freedom quite a bit, an app called Freedom. You can use those to set limits. You can do that within your own phone settings too. But just if you've never, or at least recently never, cut it out just to see what effect it would have on you to go without it. Um, that's a suggestion, a good thing to do. And be aware, it might be hard at first, which is something to listen to and to learn from, right? It might reflect something is out of alignment if it is especially difficult at first. Plan, sit down and plan and manage your screen time, your, other, your similar settings, just as you might plan your day or plan your week or plan your budget. Do the same with your time online. Think through it ahead of time. What am I gonna do in this, this realm? Let's choose to spread positive gossip only. Don't use technology as a means to find out more and more salacious information or what's going on in other people's lives to the negative. Let's decide to spread and to share things that are good and right and holy. If we need to use technology to repent of negative gossip, then let's do that too. Let's decide to have respectful conversations about potentially emotional or controversial issues in person. Not online, not on the Facebook comments, not on a text message. Let's decide to have those conversations in person. Maybe somebody supports a candidate you can't imagine them, you know, somebody supporting. Well, have that conversation over coffee or lunch in person. Have them over to your house. Any number of other issues could be divisive. Let's talk about those in person. Let's save online behavior for positive, godly things. And then finally, let's decide to just shift up one level in communication. If I would ordinarily text this person, maybe I could call them instead of texting. If I ordinarily would call this person, what if I stopped by and saw them? If I'm used to, to bumping into them and, and, and having a quick conversation in person, maybe I go out of my way to have them over to our house, or to go out to lunch with them, and have some intentional time with them. Let's think, let's shift up back toward in-person interaction instead of shifting downward just because it's easier through technology. Technology itself is not the enemy, but it can become a tool for great harm when it's in the hands of the enemy. And likewise, technology is not the savior, but it can become a tool for eternal good, and we will put it in the hands of our savior. Again, I thank you. We thank you for your presence this morning and for time to discuss these things from the word of God. Now let's close with a prayer. Father God, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for our time to be together as your children, as your people. We're thankful for this good church, thankful for her leaders, her ministry team, for so many who serve and who love. We're thankful for their desire to learn from you today. Help us all to seek your will in all things in our lives, especially help us to be the best stewards of these online capabilities that you've put into our lives, this era we now live in. We understand that they're not going anywhere, that we're always going to live with these tools available. Help us to use them as tools for your ultimate good. 
We're thankful for Jesus, for him making salvation available to us. We're thankful for his teachings. Help us to seek to be hearers of his word and to be difference makers for his kingdom, for you. Bless us in the rest of our time together today. In Jesus' name we pray.